0: Good morning, Crossroads. My name is Brian Medalia. I serve as Community Life Pastor. What we're doing this morning is introducing what we call Team Grow. Uh, The best way to understand the team is that we're seeking to make the big church small. Uh, For me, personally, when I was being introduced as a pastor, my wife, Kimberly, and I were moving from Chicago, knew four people, and right after I got off the stage, Mark and Julie Augustine said, we'd love for you to be in our house, church. And that has been a game changer for us. The fellowship we have, the word we have, the time in prayer, and the time to serve. So if you're interested in being in a house church, next Sunday, nine o'clock, Upper Room North, we'd love to put you into one, into that community. Second of all, uh, one of the things I love to do is to read applications, which is, let's say it's kind of weird. But what I mean are we have partnership applications for people that are wanting to be members. They're two-week classes. What I get to hear is, I get to hear people's, share their testimony. I get to hear about their street corner and how they're working for God. I get to hear about the kingdom of God. So if you're interested in that, February 9th and 16th, we have those classes 9 o'clock.
1: Hi. Morning. Um, I think I kind of forgot to introduce myself <laughs> the last service. I'm Jen Schmid. Um, I work alongside Brian in community life. Um, my husband and my three kids. We have been attending for about four years. I've been on staff for since 2018, May-ish, so not so long. Um, And just kind of what I see with community life is I see it as an avenue to connect people and then um, that being just kind of a jump-off point to, go out to the world into our street corners after we've connected here with the body so community life is kind of about connecting with our body here and um something that i'm excited about something unique we do here at crossroads is called family meals uh, it's kind of a rhythm of something we do it's we gather around tables all across uh, grand rapids kind of different areas different pockets we have hosts that will host And you can sign up to attend any of these family meals. It's a great way to get to know people um, if you feel like you've been coming in and out and not getting to know people. This is kind of a less committal way to get to know people. If you can't commit to a house church right now with your stage of life or whatever, this is a good way to get connected. So um, join a family meal. You can check it out on the website or out in the Connection Center. You can sign up. Um, Something that I'm passionate about within my role is just... um, people feeling known and seen when they walk in the doors and so if you don't feel that way connect with me I'd love to help you get connected so yeah
2: good morning everybody my name is Tina Watchke I am the women's administrative partner and discipleship coordinator so I serve in thanks well women's ministry I have been on staff for just about a year and Brian asked me to share something I'm excited about in um, 2020. And that is definitely the discipleship ministry. We just started the discipleship ministry in November. We opened it up for signups. The purpose of discipleship ministry is to equip, encourage, and challenge women in their maturity and their walk with Christ. And so the groups just started meeting this month. We have 12 groups meeting all over Grand Rapids every day of the week, there are 70 women involved. And just to see the passion um, that women have to grow in their walk with Christ is really exciting to me. So if you're interested in learning more, um, I would love to connect with you. My job, ladies, is to minister to you. So please reach out to me through email. I'd love to meet for coffee or just chat on the phone if you have any questions about anything regarding women's ministry. And I'm Barb
3: Hawkins. I get to work with Tina, and it's been a lot of fun. I've been at Crossroads just about from the beginning, um, so a lot of familiar faces out there. Love to see all of you. It's fun to come all these different services and see people you don't always get to see. Um, But what God's called um, me to do in a large way is um, with my husband, Norm, um, and myself. We're in a blended family with six children and 12, almost 13 grandchildren. So I keep pretty busy with that. But we lead a blended family group here at Crossroads. And if you're in a a family situation, either through death or divorce, lots of different combinations, um, we get together every month and just study the word together and share together. Um, So it's not part of my ministry area um, in women's ministries, but it's something that I'm very passionate about and that God's brought into my life. Um, In women's ministries, I love to get connected with women and see what God's doing in your life. Um, We set up Bible studies and large group events, but we also love to see what God's called in your life and help make that a reality. So if God's given you a dream or just something that you're passionate about, come and see us. We'd love to talk with you about it, pray about it, and see how God's going to develop that in your life. We serve women that are from college age and up. So we have women of all ages and life stages, and we love to have you all get together and grow and learn together.
4: I'm Hannah Vandervaldi. I'm the resident newbie of the bunch. Uh, I have been around Crossroads for about 10 years, but just recently joined on the kids ministry team. So I'm so excited uh, just to pour into that. And I have a huge passion for kids, and truly the biggest thing is that they know Jesus. So I'm super excited to get to partner with them and teach kids about Jesus.
5: Um, my name is Lindsay Amy, and I have worked in Crossroads Kids for 10 years at Crossroads. Um, And I'm super passionate about kids and them knowing Jesus and knowing the stories of the Bible and how Jesus is part of that story throughout the whole thing. Throughout the time that your kids are here, parents, they will go through the Bible twice and learn the stories at a younger level and an older level, which we think is really awesome. If you guys didn't know, there's about 300 kids every Sunday morning, ages 0 through 10, who are down the hall in the Crossroads Kids area. And it's our privilege to get to... um, find volunteers and find curriculum and things to teach them and we're really excited about it. Um, one of my biggest jobs is finding you guys and talking to you guys and figuring out how to get you involved. So if you have been going to Crossroads and you would call this your home and you're not serving within our church body in some way, this would be a really great opportunity for you to step in. It can even be like once a month and just serve the families of Crossroads and build relationships with the people here. So if you would like more information about that, please talk to me or you can email me. But I, I would love to talk to you, all of you, ages, like young people, college people, parents, and older people, all ages, so get a hold of me. Thanks.
4: Hi, my name is Libby Van Sulkoma, and I've been doing um, the Crossroads Kids Ministry for about 15 years. So uh, since the first day that we opened, or maybe the second week that we opened, but... um Brian asked us to share something we're passionate about, and so for me, I would say, um, when it comes to kids' ministry, the thing I'm the most passionate about is that the children grow up knowing the Bible, um, that they grow up knowing the stories of the Bible, that they grow up knowing the author of the Bible, God, who loves them so much that while they were still sinners, he died for them, and so, my great passion is not only do they just know a few stories, but they get to know the epic storyline of the Bible and how God's plan of redemption starts back at the beginning and goes all the way through the book of Revelation. And then not just knowing that, but knowing the role that they play in that, no matter what age, as followers of Jesus Christ, that they can be a part of the kingdom of heaven breaking forth in their families, in their schools, wherever they are, that they are God's representatives um, to the people that they're with. So I'm super excited about that. And like Lindsay said, um, she and I have been working together for 10 years, and so one of the ways that I feel like um, we can build community here at Crossroads is just putting our hand to the plow together. So like she said, if you're not serving, um, Crossroads Kids is a great place to start. We make it super easy for you, and you get to know other people in our church, other families in our church, and you get to serve alongside some other people in the same classroom. So there are some signups at the back table if you want to come and ask questions or find out about it. Also at this point in the service, it's my privilege to do what we call the call to worship. So this is the time in the service when collectively we all turn our hearts towards the Lord. So we do a lot of things in the service like announcements and introductions, but the most important things we do on a morning like this is focusing on God, worshiping him, and on his word. So church, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? So, I've picked um, a responsive reading from Psalm 85, and I'm going to read the black portions, and if you guys can respond with the red portions. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. I will declare that your love stands firm forever. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the Holy Ones. For who in the sky is compared with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord, God Almighty? rule over the surging sea the heavens are yours and yours also the earth righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne blessed are those who know you who walk in the light of your presence lord For you are our glory and strength.
6: Father of kindness, you poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you filled Ever a mercy or my help in time Lord I I can't help but see Concy with me faithful Dreams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. praise the mountain fixed upon it, Mount of God. i uh-huh. More time and here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts
7: above. Ushers so can come down. We're gonna receive an offering this time.
6: My living hope Oh, in Jesus Christ My living hope Yeah. Praise you, Lord. Love you.
7: We really uh, lift our hearts up to you in this moment right now. Just want to linger here in your presence this morning. Just like your word says, we want to turn our eyes to you, fix our eyes on you, author, perfecter, seated in heaven. We pray that whether we bring uh, despair and discouragement or whether we bring hope and joy into this place this morning, God, you meet us right where we're at and you're good in both situations and your spirit living, active, moving in us, Lord. Thank you. We just surrender more to it. And we thank you genuinely for your word that we can know you. And we pray that that two-edged sword would come and, and pierce our hearts this morning, God. That you would lead us in your way like a good shepherd. Show us the way that we should walk, Lord. Thank you for that part of your text that we call the Shema, that we can love you, all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our strength, God. And now today, just show us what it means to love people who are like us, created in your image, Lord. We thank you. We just love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat.
8: Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is Jeremiah. Um, I'm the city missions guy, so I don't normally do this. So I, uh, If you've heard about Crossroads or this is your first time here and you've heard, man, they've got great teaching, they really know the Bible well, maybe you should come next week as well when uh, Rod will be here, because man, he's really great. But this, I mean, Crossroads is kind of like Forrest Gump's whole saying, it's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Kind of that's how Crossroads is too. You come here on Sunday, you never know what you're going to get. And today you got me. So I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Isn't that a song? I think... Anyway. But I'm excited to be here today and welcome today to Crossroads. Um, As Will mentioned, we've been looking at the Shema over the last few weeks, starting the beginning of uh, January, and it is that whole part in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might so this week we're going to kind of wrap it up but we want to look at another part that gets added in the new testament it doesn't necessarily get added but when jesus talks about the shaman the new testament he always has with it and you shall love your neighbor as yourself so this morning we're going to look at a very obscure passage of scripture luke 10 verse 25 the story of the good samaritan i don't know if you've heard of that one before But we're going to dive into that text and uh, just look at what does it look like to love our neighbors. So if you would be willing or able, would you stand please with me for the reading of God's Word? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead." A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is God's word, you may be seated. So before we dive into this text, there's a couple quick little areas that I wanna unpack so when jesus is either asked what is the greatest commandment or asked what does the law say he always starts with the shema but then finishes with um, love your neighbor as yourself which is in leviticus 19 18. so the question might be why doesn't the shema have love your neighbor as yourself how do these two verses come together and the expert in the law, um, he puts them together as well. So it's not like, well, Jesus did it so he can do anything. But this is something that had been going on for several years now. So how did these two verses get connected? It was the phrase, you shall love, is the Hebrew phrase, ve'ahavta. And this phrase is only used three times in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Shema, and then Leviticus 19, 18, is the other time that it is used and Jewish interpreters in this time, they had connected biblical passages due, that was due to shared language between two verses. And they assumed that God who inspired the biblical writers intended connections between biblical passages that had shared vocabulary, even if these parts of scriptures came from different books. I know that's a lot of heady knowledge, all this stuff here, but it wasn't uncommon for one of those passages to be rather abstract and the other to be more tangible and practical way to interpret the first. So therefore, ancient Jewish interpreters would understand that shared language between Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, that word, you shall love, pointed to love your neighbor who is like yourself as providing a tangible, practical way one loved God by loving the one created in God's image. In essence, the second passage interprets the first. So how do you love God with all that you are? It's kind of more abstract. By loving your neighbor as yourself, more tangible. So what is the point of this, you might be asking? And I think a question arises from this, is as Jesus puts these two verses together, can we truly love God if we don't love our neighbor? It can be very easy to proclaim the Shema as we should. It just exclaims who God is and who we are called to be. But, How do we show that this is what we really believe and live into? And it's by the way that we love our neighbor. You can't separate the two. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we just love our neighbor and don't care about God. It is imperative that we have a relationship with God. We've got to start in that place of having a relationship with God. As Dan Mike talked about last week, the power that we find in the word of God and how it moves in our hearts and how God speaks to us through it, It's so important that we cultivate and deepen this relationship with the Lord. But at the same time, we can't love God with all of our might, soul, and strength if we do not love our neighbor. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the vertical relationship with God that we think, well, the love your neighbor part, that's kind of like extra credit. That's something I'll do above and beyond but in fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, 24, therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. He's making the case to take care of our horizontal relationships with one another even before We make our relationship right with God so truly that God knows what's in our hearts. So love for God and love for others go hand in hand. Now secondly, when the text says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there's another way to say this. Um, Rod, when we were in Israel, kind of explained this to us as well, and it is you shall love your neighbor who is like yourself. And we think of loving our neighbor who is like yourself or ourselves, there are two main things that we see. We're all made in the image of God, valued and beautiful in His eyes. And also, we see others as my neighbor that is someone that is born into sin, born into a messy world. And therefore, I can recognize in others there's the tendency to do good and the tendency to sin and do things that are hurtful, just like ourselves. So when we see each other like ourselves, it creates more of a level playing field. We're not divided by socioeconomic status, or ethnicity, or religion even, or different things, political affiliations. We see ourselves as image bearers of God, and it can change the way that we see one another. So even those that we don't deem worthy, because we ourselves stand unworthy in our need of God's mercy when we see others as ourselves, it changes everything. So finally, I love the words that we find throughout the biblical story when it comes to who we are to love. It talks about loving your neighbor, loving brother and sister, one another, even your enemy. It's talking about this idea of proximity. It's talking about people that you interact with, that you come in contact with, whether it's in your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, your home. Love the person that you interact with. All right, so let's get back into the story now. In light of these three areas, um, there's three different individuals that I would like to look at as we look at this story this morning of the Good Samaritan. There's the expert in the law, there's the priest and the Levite, and also there is the Samaritan. And so I wanna look at them in the lens of, these are people like ourselves. It's easy to stand on this side of history and be like, man, why did they do that? Why were they like this? Why were they like that? because we know the story, but to put ourselves in their shoes, what might be going on with them? And what are ways that they did show love for their neighbor and what are ways that they missed it? So first of all, we have the expert in the law. Now the expert in the law was someone that had the Torah memorized. He knew this word inside and out. He had the Mosaic law known. I mean, he would have been like a lawyer in the sense that he was able to argue things and figure things out. Um, he was part of the upper echelon of society, part of the wise and learned in that culture and in that day. And the text says that he was there to test Jesus. Now, a question is, does knowledge equal understanding? Remember, this guy knew all the scripture, he had it memorized, he would also argue with it. Yet, yeah, when he comes to Jesus, it just, his question shows how much he doesn't understand who God is. What is this question? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That question in and of itself is flawed. What can any of us do to inherit anything? It's not about what you do to inherit things, it's about who you belong to as far as family and relationally. So, right off the bat, he's thinking, what can I do in my own strength? to get into this relationship. It'd be like me going to Bill Gates and saying, what can I do to inherit your fortune, whatever that is? Can I wash your car, babysit your kids? He'd be like, wait, who are you? I don't even know you. Get out of here. So what does Jesus do in response to this question that's off base? He says, what does the law say, and how do you interpret it? And he answers with the Shema, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you've actually answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, Jesus' response was a way to show actually how the expert in the law's question was off. When Jesus says, yeah, go ahead now, just go do this, and you can live. Who of us can love God unconditionally with all that we are? And who of us can love our neighbor unwaverly with all that we are? We can't. We can't do it within our own strength. It's only something that we can do through the power of God. But again, you see the expert still doesn't get it. I think he thinks, you know what, I understand the shema part, I can do that, love God with all that I am because I have it memorized, I know this, I know how to argue these things, I've had the best teaching. But it says that he's there to, he actually wants to justify himself. It's. Justify here means status of one whom accepts God, whom God accepts when they stand before him. So what does he ask? Who is my neighbor? I have love for God covered, but man, who's my neighbor? And I think he's expecting Jesus to give this list of who's in and who's out. Who can I love, who do I have to love, and who does it not really matter? Who can I kind of ignore? How do I do this in my own strength? So we see with him, he's trying to manage this, do this in his own power, but he's not truly seeing his need for God. And it reminds me of a story in Luke seven, there is Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee and he goes and he eats with them and while he's eating this woman who is, it says a sinful woman in that town comes and sits at Jesus' feet. She just starts weeping and washing his feet with her tears and drying um, his feet with her hair and putting oil and perfume and the Pharisees are like, What are you doing don't you know this is a sinful woman why would you be doing this and Jesus tells a story about someone that's been forgiven $500,000 has a debt of five thousand another person has a debt of five dollars and both these debts were forgiven and Jesus says which one loved more and he says they say well the one who had the bigger debt forgiven and Jesus says you're right and he says those who have been forgiven much love much And those who have been forgiven little, love little. And I see the woman in this story was conscious of her sin and grateful for forgiveness and mercy that God and Jesus had given her, yet the Pharisee was spiritually arrogant, believing he had no sins to be forgiven. And I think we see this with the the expert in the law. He's like the Pharisee in this story. He brings his own self-righteousness to Jesus, which is but filthy rags rather than coming in humility and brokenness as this woman did. And as a result of him fully not understanding and asking for God to come and forgive and give mercy and love to him, he in turn doesn't know how to show that to others. Jesus doesn't need us to come with all our accolades or accomplishments to prove our worth, he just wants us to come as we are. Religious pride and arrogance negatively will affect our relationship with God And with others leads me to a question is have we been forgiven much and I know it's a basic question but in your heart of hearts have you received this extravagant love and mercy and care of the Father to forgive us of our sin and our unrighteousness because if we haven't and we don't see ourselves as worthy of that and having received that it's not something that we can extend An offer to those that God puts in our our midst. So, as we move on in the story, Jesus responds to the question, Who is my neighbor? He does this by telling the story. So, we have a few pictures of what the Jericho road would have looked like. This um, Jewish man who's walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it says, and on his journey, or maybe we don't have pictures, but anyway. While he was on his way on this journey, um, he is met by robbers who rob him, beat him, leave him for dead. And as you can see on this road and in the surrounding terrain, it is desolate. It's very isolated. Um, there is, you're left to the elements pretty much in this place. So it's not a good place to be. So as we move forward in this story, there's a second character that comes on the scene. And so we have the uh, priest and it says the priest comes upon this man and it said he was going down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So what we can assume with this priest is that he had done his two-week duty at the temple and so after two weeks they go back down to Jericho where a lot of the priests live. And so he meets this man on the road, beaten, just left for dead. Now he has a big issue right here. The, the Greek word that they use for left for dead, it's, okay, this is where I don't know Greek because it's spelled gooses, but I'm pretty sure it's not gooses. So <laughs> it's, uh, but we're going to go with gooses right now. So the word is, is gooses, and what it means is death is most likely imminent. So under the law, if this priest touches this guy and either he is dead right now or he dies later, he is ceremonially unclean. And as a result of that, he has to go back to Jerusalem, go through a process of being cleansed again, a ceremonial purification. This can take a few weeks. And during that time, he can't eat from the tithes or collect from them. The same would apply to his family and servants. His distribution to the poor would have been impossible. There's just so many things. He's just like, oh, man, I don't know what to do here. So what does he do? It says he looks at him, and then he goes on the other side. And when you see those pictures, it might actually be more likely that he actually had to walk over him than even to the other side of the road. And I can imagine the priest thinking, man, I did my priestly duties these last few weeks, gave money to the poor, gave my time and energy to serving my fellow Jews. I don't even know this guy right here. Is he a part, is he Jewish? Is he from another ethnicity or some other place that I really don't need to take care of them? There's just so many different things. I've already done my part. So soon after that, it says a Levite comes upon this man, and a Levite was a priest's assistant. So he comes upon this man as well, and I could imagine him, knowing that the priest had gone before him, kind of maybe not having such a guilty conscience and being like, well, the priest, he left this guy, so I can probably just keep going too. And so just like the priest, we see the Levite. He steps up looks at the man, it says, intently, and then he moves on. And I think the interesting thing is that as custom for every faithful Israelite at this time, and even today, is to recite the Shema every morning and every evening. So here's the Levite and the priest. That morning, they had quoted the Shema, telling of their love for God with all that they are, yet sandwiched in between these declarations of their complete and utter love and devotion to God, was neglect of their neighbor. Now it's easy for us to get on the priest and Levite and say, yeah, why did they do that? I can't believe that. But how often do I do that? Do we do that at different times? I might have my morning devotions or time with God and then walk out my door and ignore the people that are around me that are needing help, needing mercy. And I'm not just talking physical need but those in our workplaces, those in our schools, man, that are just beaten down and broken by life and struggling. And this isn't a word to make us feel guilty or make us feel like we're not doing enough. If anything, it's just to to have that conversation, to say, God, who are the people in my life that you're calling me to love? And I know for myself, it can be messy, it can be costly, it can be difficult, and it can hit on two big issues I know in my own life of comfort and convenience. All too often we're willing to follow Jesus and I'm willing to follow him until his commands until sometimes it requires something of me. And then I'm like, Well, is that really you, God? Maybe I should talk to someone about that. Maybe I should pray about this for a little while. But when our comfort and convenience gets challenged, it's easy to make excuses place labels, judge others, go on to the other side of the road and keep going? Do we do that with people that are different than us and that we don't necessarily like? Instead of saying, entering in, we might say, man, they just made a bad choice. They don't wanna change. Maybe they have a bad work ethic. Scholars say that when people were robbed on the road, many times they weren't actually left in the condition that this um, man would have been left in. A lot of times they just took their stuff left the person as is, and went away. But for those who resisted, they would not only be robbed, but usually severely beaten. So maybe the priest and Levi were saying, hey, if this guy just would not have resisted, this wouldn't have happened to him. It's kind of his own fault. We blame, label, or judge people in these situations. Are our judgments just, or are they usually just to protect our comfort and convenience of not wanting to get involved? Um, When I was at Stocking, I was in the role that Bethany Hicks, who's, on staff here right now is currently in. And so about five days out of the week, I'd be at the school. And there was this little guy that I met. He was a fifth grader. His name was, we'll call him Mark. He was probably about 4'10", 80 pounds soaking wet. But man, this kid, he had a mouth on him. He cursed like a sailor and he fought like a, what likes to fight, a honey badger? (laughs) I don't know. So. This kid, I mean, just bad news. I was just like, man, this is just a bad kid. He cursed me out, and I'm like, I'm a nice guy. Mar, what are you doing, man? I'm trying to be nice to you, all that. So I'm like, I'm just not gonna talk to him. I'm just gonna stay away. And so one day, he uh, was the last kid at school. They're trying to call his parents because no one could get a hold of his, his guardians. And so he's just sitting there, and they could not get a hold of anyone, and so finally, he just storms out the door, and goes to the side of the school. And he actually sat in this space that was just outside my window in the office that I had there. And I look out there and I just see him sitting there. He's got his hands in his head. And all of a sudden, I just hear this weeping. He's just breaking down, crying. And I went out there and I just like, dude, what's going on? What's going on, man? And he just opened up and just said, you know what, I've been homeless for months been living in cars, living in hotels. My mom, we go and stay with some of her different boyfriends, so I'm in very volatile situations. Uh, My brothers who are older than me, since I'm so little, they pick on me, they beat me up constantly. I don't feel safe or just cared for at home. My mom is always just putting me down, making me feel bad about my height and all these things. And even when she, she actually came an hour later, and she saw that she, he was crying. She said, you don't ever cry. I don't ever want to see you cry. We do not cry in this family. So what it, what it made me realize with DeMarcus is the things that, that he displayed outwardly were the things that were going on in his heart as far as being beaten up and just destroyed by this life. And what he was just doing, he was just fighting back against those things. But the more he fought, the deeper those wounds became. And it changed my perspective on people when I see people that are in those situations and think, man, they're just a bad person. What's going on in their heart? I wanna see people with a heart of compassion to say, what's underneath that? And a quote that I've used a lot is, hurting people hurt people. And so I wanna see people through God's eyes with that heart. So when we come in contact with those people that aren't the most lovable, how do we respond to them or view them? Do we see them as someone like ourselves in need of mercy? Or do we see them as someone that's, you know what, they've made their bed, now they need to sleep in it. I know in my own life when people have responded to me in care, compassion, instead of blaming, labeling, and judging, it has radically impacted the way I view others and God. So now, we have a third person that enters the story, and it's the Samaritan. Now, when the Jewish people would have heard this back then, there probably would have been audible gasps. This story would have been like saying there was a pastor, a ministry leader, and then a member of ISIS comes along the road. They did not have a good relationship at all. Let's just say that, the Samaritans and the Jews. They'd been feuding for over 400 years. In fact, in uh, Luke chapter nine, just before this chapter, James and John they went to a Samaritan village, they didn't welcome them there, and they're like, Jesus, call down a fire from heaven and like smoke those guys. Like, there is just, I mean, come on, hospitality? You're getting mad at people, you want them to be, die over that? But anyway, all that to say, they just did not like each other. So what we see is this Samaritan that comes, and there's, there's four different things that I think we see in the Samaritan doing with, with this man in need. At number one, it says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. It says he had compassion on him. And the Greek word for compassion here isn't just, oh, that's too bad, I feel sorry for him. It's an inner emotion, it's just a deep, being deeply stirred and moved. And it's the same word that Jesus is described in Matthew 14, 14, when he feeds the 5,000, where he saw them, and man, he was moved with compassion for them. And as a result, that compassion moved him to action. For The second thing is, is he came in contact with the man. He literally got off his donkey and came in contact with this guy. He didn't see this guy as too far gone or all the obstacles that were going to be in place and trying to help him, but he drew near to him in that situation and entered in. There's something to be said about people that God puts in our proximity when Jesus talks about loving our neighbor, he says, it's the people that I bring into your path. Who are those people maybe today that are on your Jericho road? The third thing that we see with the Samaritan is he cared for this man. I've never seen a person that is half dead, beaten like this, and just in such bad shape. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, I, for one, do not do good with blood. When my second son was born, I was in the corner. Um, dry heaving and getting smelling salts from the nurses. So it was not a, not a highlight of my life. And uh, I just, yeah, it's sad. But anyway, back to the story. The point is, is that caring for this guy, it was messy. It was going to mean literally getting his hands dirty and maybe entering into a situation and what he wasn't used to or comfortable with. People are messy. You're messy. I'm messy. But our, and our neighbors are people that are like ourselves, made in the image of God, and needing God's mercy. So what does he do? Finally, also as well, the fourth thing he does is he accepts the cost that was gonna be involved in helping this guy. He used his own oil and wine to bandage his wounds. He took this guy to an inn to be cared for, the two denarii. Some people say that could have been up to two weeks to a whole month of care for this guy. And he doesn't just leave him there and be like, all right, I've done my job, but he says, And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for anything else you need. And I think sometimes we think of the Good Samaritan as just being, hey, I did a one-off thing, I helped the old lady cross the street, or the guy on the side of the road that needed a ride, that's great, and I think those are all awesome things. But I also see what Jesus is saying here is that loving my neighbor is just not a one-time thing or interaction sometimes, but it takes place over time and is continuous. It might be inconvenient, but I guarantee you, what happened and how this impacted the Samaritan would be radically changing his life just as much as this Jewish person as they interact with one another. Have you ever received unmerited mercy and how did this impact your life? Now, I mean, you're probably thinking, okay, you're using all these examples, this is just a parable, it's just a story, this actually didn't happen even though there are manuscripts that say there is a story that's very similar to this. But what I love about this is Jesus doesn't just tell us, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, you go do it now, and I'm just gonna sit back. But Jesus models this for us. You know, in probably a matter of months, Jesus was gonna walk this same Jericho road on the way to Jerusalem. And he is the one that came to this earth and truly embodied the love and mercy that the Samaritan, the story showed he came, he had compassion for those that were around him. When others didn't associate with them, he came in contact with them. The lepers, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, he ate, he drank with them. When they were in need, he cared for them. It says he healed the sick. He fed the hungry, lifted the head of the downtrodden, he blessed the children. And when he came to Jerusalem, he counted the cost and said, yes. They are worthy. I will lay down my life for them. And he knew it was going to be a big cost. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's wrestling with God, saying, if possible, take this cup from me. But his great love, he's saying, I will do this. And in Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross." Those that were his worst enemies, the ones that actually wanted to see him crucified, he says, Father, forgive them. And while we were still sinners, dead in our sin, beaten and bruised and left for dead by the things of this world, Christ died for us. We truly can't even imagine the cost that he paid, but also the great love that he has for us. Do you realize how much God loves you? How much he loves us? And I know that's such a flippant question, but it's a question that is so true and pertinent. The beauty of it is is that it doesn't end there. Jesus rather invites us into this way of life. And what I love about this community at Crossroads being here over the years is the vision that has been just in place since the beginning about raising up a people to equip and send out And last year, the theme verse was 1 Peter 2, 9, saying we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't this awesome that we're a part of co-laboring with Christ to see his kingdom come more and more breaking in in our city? and in the nations. And I love Rod talking about this idea of promised land. Where is the place that God has planted you to display who God is to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, to your uh, coworkers? It's a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing to remember that the promised land with the Israelites wasn't, hey, I'm gonna just give you this land with milk and honey so that you can just enjoy it. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. What an awesome calling that we are a part of today. And this fits the language here at Crossroads regarding what is your street corner? Where are the places God has you to display who he is by the way that you love those around you? And our vision for missions is to renew the city and impact the world. And you and I are the ones that are gonna be a part of that if we want to or not. You know, we have some awesome organizations that are doing incredible things in the city. And I love it. And I know we put them up here a lot of times. And you get to hear about what's going on and it's great. And I'm telling you, we do, They're, they are great organizations. And If you ever wanna get connected with them, I think you should. But I also want you to know is just as valuable and just as important as every person sitting here that's walking into the places that God has them going day in and day out. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but my heart isn't that everyone here in this church joins an organization or volunteers with something. My heart is that we would be a people of God that know our kingdom calling and step into that with confidence and feel led by God's spirit to say, what does this look like in this place to love my neighbor? And you know what this happens? It happens in our homes, it happens in our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, the gym, just the places that you frequent. God wants to use you there and you are just as important as anyone else. And for those of you that feel unqualified or ill-prepared, here's some good news for you as well. Now, I'm not knocking the expert in the law or the priest or the Levite here trying to make them out to be the bad guy, but the problem is they miss it. They are the ones that everyone thinks, oh, they know what to do, they have it all figured out, but they miss it. What I love is that's the regular Samaritan, just the regular person like you and I that steps in and enters in, and I really believe the only way we miss it is when we sit on the sidelines. I think God is looking for people to say, Lord, here, I am, here am I, send me, just like he said with Isaiah. So it isn't the wise and learned, but the contrite, the humble that God uses. And we see this at the beginning of Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 and they are just pumped. They're so excited where they've seen God move and work in their midst and they are just ready to keep going and what does Jesus say? It says, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Isn't that freeing where we don't have to have it all together as we enter into these things? We don't have to have all the answers and we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna blow it. We're gonna mess things up. But man, when we come with that heart of just contrite and humble of saying, God, I love you with all that I am and I love these people that you put in front of me, I believe with all of my heart, we will not go wrong. And I believe Jesus, his heart rejoices when we take steps towards people in need and ask him to give us his heart for them, his eyes to see them as he does, and his wisdom to know what to do. Again, it's gonna be messy, it's gonna be costly, and it won't always be black and white. We won't always know what to do. But it truly does define us as a people that follow Jesus. So, As the band comes back up here, I just want to end with this, is that you see at the end of this parable, it starts with the lawyer asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? But after telling the story of the Samaritan, Jesus doesn't actually answer the lawyer's question. Jesus says, which of these three was a neighbor? The lawyer answers, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I feel like Jesus is ultimately saying, this is the type of neighbor you are called to be to the people you come in contact with. Don't look at people and think, man, do they deserve this or do they not deserve that? Should I help this? Do I love this person? Do I love that person? This is what we are called to be. He says, look at me. Look what I have done and how much I love you and the mercy that I've shown you. And now go and do likewise, from your worst enemy to your closest friend. Jesus doesn't give us a list of who's in and out, but what he does do is he gives us a command, and it's that Shema Israel, Shema crossroads, that whole idea to hear and obey, that, to, that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might, and we shall love our neighbor who is like ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. Um, Just what a privilege it is to, to be walking this journey with you, God. And I pray that you would help us where we feel like we need to earn your love, we need to earn your acceptance, God. I pray that you would help us just to lay that down and say you've done it. That we just receive that gift of your love and your grace and your mercy, and then we in turn show that to the people that you have placed in our lives. We don't expect them now to earn it or them to do something um, to gain that, but we freely give as as we have freely received, Lord. I just thank you for that, God. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities, God, in our families, Lord. And I pray even just for us as a community, just even one person that you might highlight in each of our lives, to show just the the love and affection and mercy of Christ that that we can be this kingdom of priests that loves you with all that we are and loves our neighbor. And I thank you that you walk with us. We can't do this in our own strength, but we get to do this with you, to co-labor with you, our good shepherd. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
9: Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those
6: around me. All right, we go. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You
9: are. Worthy of all the praise we could
10: utter. Yes, you are.
6: Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Sing Jesus. Oh, Jesus, the name above every other name. You are. Jesus, the only one. Worthy of every breath we could ever
9: breathe We live free
11: As we close, you can remain standing, and I'd like to invite Tim and Chris and Frank, if you guys are here, to come on up. As you guys remember, uh, part of our year on giving was to build a playground in Zambia at the Cure Hospital. And I'm happy to announce that these three guys are headed out in six days to go build it for our church and for the hospital. this was something we were hoping to do to put a team of dudes together to go or girls or whoever. And these guys showed up. It's and uh, thank you guys for getting off the sidelines and just answering that call. I really feel like God just put you guys together and you don't know each other. You will at, by the end of it, I'm sure. Yeah. But we wanna just take a moment to pray for you and to send you out. And guys, Jeremiah is gonna come up and close us. But thank you for being us there. Uh, send our love Thank you for bringing the kingdom to those kids that need it, okay? And also, you know, we've been talking a lot this whole month about what it means to dream kingdom dreams, to, uh, to find your promised land, and if that's you, and you're kind of sitting here and you're like, but what is that for me? Like, I get what they're saying, I hear these stories, I hear what's going on, but what is it? We would love to invite you to our On Mission elective starting next week at 11 a.m., where we walk through what does it mean uh, to be part of God's kingdom and use your gifts and find your place um, for your kingdom calling. So we'd love to invite you to that. We'll be right in the lobby. Feel free to sign up or answer any questions about that. Jeremiah, come close. Us. All right, we wanted to do something a little different here where these guys are being
8: commissioned out and for what they're doing, they're going on the other side of the world But we also wanted to take this time to commission us as a community at crossroads here, that we got people going on the other side of the world like these guys, but we know there's people here going back to your workplace, going into your neighborhoods, going into places, even your own family. And so this morning, how we wanted to end this was reading the Shema together as a community to be commissioning us out. These are like our our marching orders in a sense. And remember, Shema means hear and obey. So what if we're a community that's known for this, but not just knowing it by the way we say it, but by the way that we live it out day in and day out. So we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna pray pray for you all here. So let's say this together, ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. father we just thank you so much um just thank you for chris and tim and frank as they're going to zambia lord we just pray your protection over them god we pray that it would be a time where they are a blessing to the people but they're also blessed by fellow believers in zambia there lord so i just thank you for their willingness to go and to be your hands and feet over there jesus so we just pray your blessing upon them and I thank you for every person here, God, that you love, you care for, you value, and that you believe in. And so I just pray as we go out, Lord, I pray your, your hand and your anointing to be upon this community and the places that we go and the people we interact with, Lord, that we would be known by this. So we love you, Jesus, and we just give you all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.